Welcome to season four of What Does Your Family Look Like? I'm Rosie, and I am here to introduce you to Eliza. In this episode, Eliza gives us some insight into the testing that is required for clinicians to diagnose those people exhibiting signs of Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, or ADHD for short. She draws a roadmap of the steps she took with her son, Nick, who has ADHD, and shares with us the trials of being an undiagnosed student herself. Her diagnosis gave her the understanding and freedom she so desperately needed. Let's switch over to Eliza. We are here today with my friend, Eliza. She's been a longtime family friend. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here. Um, let me tell you a little bit about her. I'm going to fill you in. Uh, here's a little brief bio on Eliza. She's a lawyer who got her law degree from UCLA and her undergraduate degree from Bucknell in environmental studies. She merged her two degrees by focusing her talent and energy in environmental law. Eliza specializes in Clean Water Act litigation and nonprofit leadership. However, we are here with her today to focus on something else, something quite personal. And I am so grateful to her for her willingness to share her journey with ADHD, a hot topic for all of us, or most of us. We're, a lot of us are touched by it. She views it as a superpower, and rightfully so, although... It hasn't always felt that way. So let's just dig in. All right. Um, you want to talk to us about how you discovered? Yeah, it was really interesting. Or what your journey, <coughs> yeah. Um, actually, I think it's pretty common for adults at least. Um, my son had been struggling. Well, I wouldn't say struggling, but we had noticed that he wasn't having um, the same behaviors in very young ages. So starting in kindergarten, but by the time he got to first grade, it was like he was not able to focus the way some of the other kids were. Mm -hmm. Academically, he was doing fine because it's kindergarten, so we weren't, there's nothing to measure there. Right. <laughs> I mean, he was right. able to complete the tasks. Um, but he was rolling around on the ground when everybody was crisscross applesauce. Right. And, um, and so we decided to get him tested in second grade. And lo and behold, he gets um, a diagnosis of... ADHD and there's multiple types and we can go into that um, later but when you go through the the it's called psychoeducational testing mm -hmm. um, they give you it's about two full days of testing three hours a day and they give you a report that's about 20 pages long mm. and with such a young child they talk the parents through the report as opposed to the child mm -hmm. and when they were talking through the report they were I mean it's just all these categories of brain analysis it's phenomenal it's mm -hmm. a it's a roadmap to a given brain right and I'm thinking this is fantastic everybody should have one of these but as they're going through it I'm thinking hmm I didn't even know people were supposed to be able to do things that they're saying he was n you know performing on the low end that's indicative of ADHD so recalling memory recall mm -hmm. how much can you keep in your brain and then spit back out so phone numbers like right. can you remember a phone number and repeat it 20 seconds later and um and I just was thinking oh I, I didn't realize people were expected to do that I can't do that and it's, it's just just these casual thoughts right. um anyway so 
um, this was not about me. It was about my kid. I just remember thinking that. And um, he gets to school, and we give him the diagnosis. This wonderful um, psychologist at school um, suggested that I read a book. It was called Driven to Distraction, and it's by Ned Hollowell. And that's kind of like, you know, the guy who wrote the book on ADHD back in the 80s. It's okay. been updated a number of times. Um, and I said... <laughs> This might have been clue A. It's like, uh, I don't have the concentration to read the whole book. Is there a better <laughs> way? <laughs> so I signed up for the newsletter. <laughs> and We'll test you later. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I signed up for the newsletter because I just wanted to devour everything mm-hmm. about ADHD. But most importantly, what she said to me was, um, one of the reasons I recommend that you read the book is because this particular doctor views ADHD as a superpower. And I went really I didn't I think most people I mean when our child was younger people were saying the doctors were saying the teachers were saying don't get him tested too early he'll be labeled Mm -hmm. as if it was you know a a terrible thing and Mm -hmm. so then to have somebody say to me this doctor views it as a superpower I went okay well why wouldn't I want to have that context as I'm going through this so I started devouring everything from their newsletter and about three months after the diagnosis, I see <clears throat> a little blurb in the newsletter. Are you an adult woman who thinks she might have ADHD? If so, please reach out to us. We're doing a documentary about ADHD. <laughs> and I'm thinking, because the testing is not cheap. Right. Right. And I'm like, well, this seems like a really good opportunity to learn if I have it. Right. And it's what free cool, testing. Free testing. And what a cool way to. Um, learn together right side by side with my kid a journey and so um about six months later I was cast in the documentary and um that's very cool and so I got tested six uh, about nine months later and and they filmed you know they they filmed the process of me getting diagnosed and then starting medications and and so I had to be very aware of what my what I noticed, you know, sort of pre-diagnosis, mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. I learned from the diagnosis, what I noticed as I was starting meds and um, because I was literally in front of a camera for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And so it forced me to do some really good reflecting, which mm-hmm. I think was really helpful. Right. And um, and so I've been able to watch the, m- the changes in me and then be able to look at my son and say, have you noticed anything like that in you? Because he was seven at that point, so they're not very self-reflective. Right. So changes <coughs> meaning before and after the meds? Yeah. So like for, for um, and, you know, we can have a whole conversation about how ADHD is different in different people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very different for girls than boys in many cases, certainly not all cases. Very different for the way it manifests in girls and in boys. Um some humans have hyperactivity, some don't. Mm-hmm. With their ADHD, we all learned ADD, mm-hmm. and a, which was the non-hyperversion, and ADHD, which was the attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Evidently, the scientific medical world has grouped them all together, and all their nomenclature doesn't make sense. So it's ADHD with or without hyperactivity. That's what they call it now. Okay. So, um, <coughs> so we just... Everybody seems to just use the term ADHD rather than ADD anymore. Right. Um, okay. But then you have to make the distinction 
are, is your diagnosis with or without hyperactivity. I am without hyperactivity. My son is with. Right. Um, and so for me, it manifested very much as an emotional regulation. And what I noticed when I got on the medicine was I had been diagnosed with anxiety. I had been diagnosed with depression. I was on all of those medications at certain times in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I started the, AD, the ADHD medications, I didn't need any of them. Oh, wow. It regulated my reactivity, my impulse control, and that therefore helped regulate my mood and my, you know, what was manifesting as anxiety was really overload. Okay. And so... They helped you understand that. Of course. I mean, I didn't right. come to any of these conclusions right. on my own. Um, but as uh, what I... What I learned was, and you know, we can talk about like as a kid. Yeah, I had I'd every I had every support known to human beings. I went to a wonderful school, an all girls school. My parents were very supportive. I got decent grades. You know, I was like a solid B student. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got into high school, and I'm watching all my friends do their AP courses and take languages and succeed and I am working my tail off Mm -hmm. to get B plus A minus grades Mm -hmm. and my self-confidence was just really low Mm -hmm. and um and I felt like gosh I guess I must not be that smart Mm. um and I knew I wasn't like stupid I mean I could perform I just was like why is it that I'm trying as hard as I'm not not doing my homework. I'm at home. I'm busting my butt, and right. and like A's are pouring in around me, and I'm you know, and not for you, not for me. So everybody, you know, my SAT scores were, you know, a little bit lower than everybody else's. Mm-hmm. Not bad, but a little bit lower. Um, <clears throat> you know, they give us those stupid standardized tests <laughs> in school, and right. mine were all you know. I'm not. Uh, no, nobody's red flagging me. And that was the problem. And okay. that's often the problem for girls. Okay. Um, because. Well, you're performing <coughs> and you're performing well. You're performing and you're performing well. You're not hyper. But you're not. <laughs> and you're not. Yeah. Because the, but the hyper ones, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Right. Like nobody was worried about that. Right. Um, but I wasn't performing to my potential. Okay. And, um, and the same thing repeated in college. Um, I had a cubicle in college in the library that the librarians knew was mine. It was in the bowels of the library where I kept all my books right. and they didn't put them, they didn't refile them. They just knew it was mine. Huh. <coughs> and I, when my friends would go to the bar after classes, I would go to the library. Like if I didn't have all my stuff done from the minute I finished classes, mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it. So I would finish classes. I would go straight to the library. I'd sit in the bowels of the library with my work mm-hmm. and then I'd just leave it all there. Right. So I knew I could come back to the next day. You knew how to work within the, the framework. I created my you own created. supports. Yeah, you did. And Which is great. Not <coughs> everybody can do that. No, no. I mean, I think for me, my ADHD was present, but not... Um, didn't it, take it, over? It didn't take over in those years. And so I was able to create the supports I needed to be successful enough, right? I mean, you don't need perfect grades. You don't need to go to Harvard you know my college was wonderful I had a wonderful um, experience learning and Mm -hmm. I got what I needed and 
but in in law school, I met my husband and we lived together. And same thing, we're literally studying side by side. He's getting straight A's in the same classes, studying the same thing as me with the same study guides, mm-hmm. and I'm getting C's. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I got diagnosed, my first reaction was to cry, not because I was sad about the diagnosis. In fact, my Ned Hallowell was the one who diagnosed me, and he was said first thing after the session he said congratulations <laughs> and I said I think I understand what you mean because yeah. there's a lot of wonderful things that come out of this but right shortly after that I cried for the loss mm-hmm. and it was for the loss of potential like what if I had known that I was really capable mm-hmm. and I didn't have to feel s- like I wasn't as smart as the people around me because I made some really bad decisions in life because I didn't feel enough. Mm-hmm. And that's probably too deep for this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll go there, but I don't know if everybody wants to hear it. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you do things when you have low self-esteem. Yeah. And could I have avoided that if I had known? Maybe. Uh, maybe not. But um, I do think that, especially for girls, mm-hmm. we have enough against us that to be undiagnosed means you're not living to your potential mm-hmm. and you're feeling shitty about yourself. No, mm-hmm. no, nobody needs that. Nobody needs nobody that. Needs that. Everybody needs better than that if they can. Um, so that's why I talk about it because I think it's so important to have families realize like there's no, my only regret is not getting my son diagnosed earlier. And Th- But you started when he was in second grade. We did, but I'm just saying when the when everybody around me was saying it's too early, he's going to be labeled. That's bullshit. How early do they tell you now to do that? Is That's it a good question. I don't know. You know, I mean. They can do all sorts of, like, educational, psychoeducational, neuroeducational, I can't even remember the terms, um, testing at very young ages. Okay. Um, so it's a good question. I can find out for well, you. Well, I, I bet you that I'm assuming that if you get tested at, like, five or six, will they get tested then as the years go on yeah to see how your brain is developing absolutely and it's funny because we just went through this when our son started middle school it never occurred to me that i had to get him retested he started middle school at a new school and they're like and you need to update the testing i went whoa these are not easy appointments to get. yeah <laughs> um and we ended up with a wonderful place but um yes they as a as a child grows mm-hmm. they update it it's typically at every um cha- you know elementary middle high high college mm-hmm. you would reassess because mm-hmm. yes of course your brain is growing right um and it's fantastic because you get a new roadmap for your brain and what it does is it tells the teachers how to teach your brain because not everybody learns the same way not everybody learns the same way and and if you ha- so for example my son has um you know mem like and i do too memory recall and um, issues which means it's harder to keep things in your brain I think it's called memory it could be retention it could be called retention retention so it's harder to keep things in your brain while you're thinking about other things okay so um, math or science when you're having to work out a problem and but you got to keep an equation in your brain right um, and so when you know that then the teachers either give you extra time allow you a note card with some notes when not everybody else has mm-hmm. note cards and it's not because it's not cheating. It's not giving you the answers. Right. It's just meaning you don't have to remember all the things because your brain doesn't hold that. Right. Um, and it lets them prove 
that lets the student prove to the teacher that I understand the operation, I just can't memorize all that stuff Correct. and keep it together. Because knowing the operation is the most important part. The understanding. Right. And, and the Even the arithmetic sometimes is like, doesn't matter as much. I still can't add five plus five. <laughs> That's I still, I calculators. Can't. And I, because I'm like five plus, and then I try to go, well, I mean, not five plus five, but, and then I try to remember the carrying, and then I forget the first number before right. I'm finished the problem. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's a joke in the house. Like, don't go to mom for math homework. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but it, you know, one of the wonderful things about the testing is that it, it does, it gives, you know, both a teacher and a student um, a guide. And our most recent tester gave my son a guide. So oh. it gives, it's the 20 some pages for the teachers. Right. And then she gave a one pager. What does this mean for you? Oh, that's great. And, you know, kids will pretend and especially boys, I don't care. It doesn't matter. But when push comes to shove and school's hard, mm -hmm. there's a part of him that I know must go back to that and mm -hmm. think, okay. This is helpful. Yeah. Um, I was at your house watching Nick gut rockfish <laughs> that he had just caught. And he said to you, hey, mom, or maybe you told me this. Uh, if it wasn't for the ADHD, I don't think I would love fishing. I don't think I'd be good at it. Yeah. But it allows me to, like, focus for such long periods of time. That's part of ADHD? Absolutely. And so part of why it's you know, Dr. Hollowell calls it a superpower. He says it's it's a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes, huh. right? So you've got this super-powered engine of a brain, but you don't always have the ability to slow it down at the times you need, which results in people having um, impulse control issues. It could be interrupting. It could be um, physical. Um, it could, you know, meaning like, I'm mad at you. I can't help it. I'm going to reach out and punch you. Or right. is a you know, little kid hit. Mm -hmm. So you see little kids getting in trouble all the time when it's like literally neurologically, they don't, they can't stop it. Right. They have a feeling and they act it out or they say it. Mm -hmm. And then these kids. They're get not psychotic. They're, they're not psychotic <laughs> and they get labeled as bad. Yeah. And then very early now they get labeled as dangerous. Right. Um, and so um it's Dr. Hallowell said it's a Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes and you know everybody has little bits of this like across the population it's mm -hmm. not that you know because people say oh ADHD is so overdiagnosed um, his view on it and I tend to agree with this is it's only something you treat when it gets in the way of the way you want to live your life right so sure probably is overdiagnosed because most people have a lot of these symptoms sometimes mm -hmm. but if it's getting in the way of your life, mm -hmm. then it's something worth dealing with, whether it's through therapy or through tra um, skills training, medication, or any combination thereof. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's... Can you tell me about the skills training? So they, I mean, a lot of ADHD is executive functioning, which means, you know, how to organize yourself. Um, mm -hmm. I... Like, for example, I created my own executive functioning world by creating my little thing, my cubicle in college to right. organize myself. I had a very specific way to take notes. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was researching papers, I knew exactly what pages because I was so methodical. Because if I wasn't, I was 
a stack of paper everywhere and things everywhere. are flying and books are over here and there. And so I taught myself how to be successful um, in, su- in some regards. <laughs> and um, so at Nick's school now, they have a whole class called academic skills. They teach executive functioning skills. They show them how to chunk work. So if you have a term paper, here's how you chunk it. And, and here's how you chunk it over time because and this is hysterical. I never realized this. Dr. Hallowell <laughs> says people with ADHD have two times, now and not now. <laughs> and I bet you can ask anybody in my family, and I know you've seen it because you've been to so many family dinners with us. Guess who's usually not on time? <laughs> it's me. Eliza. Yeah. And, um, and it's because you, just, you have no sense of time. Mm-hmm. And so, which is hard in planning long-range projects. So wh- the so I, I guess I was started the conversation. We started to talk about my journey. I didn't have, or I was able to manage ADHD until I had kids. Let's be honest. Isn't everything harder with kids? See, that's what I mean about Eliza's honesty. I love it. If you a friend or a family member have ADHD, I hope this has shed some light and helped you understand that brains are hardwired in different ways and that adaptation is key. It is daunting to acknowledge what is in front of you, to take the first steps and seek help from professionals, but taking action can pay big dividends in the long run. I love the visual Ferrari brain with bicycle brakes. It makes so much sense to me now. Next episode, Eliza tells us about the tools she and Nick use to accommodate their Ferrari brain. Please like and subscribe and follow us on all social media at WDYFLL, the podcast.